of dying. And however much we dress them up and make them look fancy, they're only heading in one direction, unless it's a fake tree and it's going into the attic. But that's another slow death as well, isn't it? Christmas trees, we dress them up, but they're dying. And Isaiah 10 and 11 tell us this morning that that is true of world leaders. Boris Johnson is like a Christmas tree. Wherever you find him, be it on a Zoom Christmas quiz or whatever, he may be dressed up in tinsel and fancily dressed up, but he is dying a slow death. That's the message that Isaiah gives us this Advent morning. He says in verse 1 of chapter 11, a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. Isaiah is surveying the world. In chapter 10, he's been speaking about Assyria, the superpower of the day. And there too, he describes how Assyria is reduced to a stump. And now in chapter 11, Isaiah turns his focus on God's special people. And here's his assessment of them. They are a stump. The stump of Jesse. You see, one of the things you discover as you read the early chapters of Isaiah, one of the things you discover as you read the Bible and as you look at the world around you is this. There is a redundancy in all human leadership. Anything that we try as human beings is doomed to fail. And Isaiah is saying to us this morning, even amongst God's people, it has been reduced to a stump. Don't look for ultimate answers in political solutions or economic prosperity or educational advancements. They're all dead ends, Isaiah is saying. What we need is for God to break into this world and to fix it for us. We're at the time of year where we're remembering Jesus' entry into this world. And Isaiah is saying to us this morning, look at the world around you. It's like a stump. But when you look closely, what you can see is that God himself invaded this world. And there is a shoot, a shoot of hope for us to cling on to. There's a redundancy in all human leadership. But before we move on, let me just say this. It's not just a redundancy in human leadership. There's a redundancy in our hearts as well. Christmas is that time of year where we prepare ourselves for Santa's yearly assessment. Maybe not that much for Christmas Eve, but we do it at New Year's, don't we? When we make New Year's resolutions. And how tempting it is when we make New Year's resolutions to make resolutions which make us the center of God's salvation plan for our lives and even for the lives of others. Isaiah is saying, give up on self-salvation projects. And look to Jesus. As you make resolutions this year and try to fix yourself, as you reflect on what you can do for God, allow the stark message of Christmas to humble you. There is a redundancy in human leadership. There's a redundancy in our hearts. And therefore, we need the light of Jesus to shine into our lights, into our lives. Thankfully, Isaiah doesn't just 
finish there, if we were just to finish in Isaiah chapter 10, it would be a bleak picture, a picture of a world reduced to stumps. But Isaiah says, when you look at the stump of Jesse, verse 1, you see a shoot coming from that stump. We've seen as we've looked at Matthew 1 and 2 that Christmas comes in unexpected places, haven't we? A poor pregnant teenager in Palestine, surrounded by animals, attended by shepherds. From the very beginning of Jesus' life, God's work looked insignificant, and Isaiah recognizes that. He says it's a shoot. It's interesting here that Isaiah says it's a shoot from the stump of Jesse. He doesn't even mention David. David was the great king of Israel, but Jesse, well, he just died in relative obscurity. But you see, that's the point. Christmas tells us this. God's final word is always one of new life in the face of death. In Isaiah's day, in Jesus' day, the nation looked pathetic and powerless. And in that moment, a little baby was born. There was no room in the inn, so they placed him in a stable. But look what came from that stable. Because here's the thing, there's a mystery with Christmas. Isaiah 11 verse 1 says, there's a shoot from the stump of Jesse. But then he goes on in verse 10 to say, this shoot that comes from the stump is also, verse 10, the root of Jesse. Isaiah is saying, the hope of the world is an insignificant shoot in some senses. But the hope of the world is altogether other. He came from Jesse, but he also came before Jesse. Do you remember John the Baptist in John chapter 1 when he said, After me comes one who is before me. And before you think, what on earth is John smoking when he says that? Think on this. John can see Isaiah 11. He knows that the shoot that comes from the stump is also the root Jesus came in time and space, but he was also the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. He occupied a real corner of history, and yet he was the Ancient of Days. He lived under the stars, and yet he flung the stars into space. It's no wonder that he divides history. Yes, he came in a moment in history. And yet he is bigger than history itself. So no wonder we divide our calendar by his coming. He is the shoot that springs from the stump, but he is also the root. He has always been there. And therefore he is dependable and we can rely on him. So in our time this morning, let's just think from verses 2 to 5, what this king will be like. What will Jesus be like according to Isaiah as he comes at a time of desperate need for the people of God. What will Jesus be like? Listen to verses 2 and 3. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The spirit of wisdom and of understanding. The spirit of counsel and of might. The spirit of the knowledge and fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. When we... Look at the news. We're confronted not only with the moral bankruptcy of our leaders, but also their incompetence, aren't we? Even if they wanted to do the right thing, wouldn't we be sure that they'd be able 
to do it. But here's a picture of Jesus for us that is the complete opposite. Of all those leaders that have failed us, here's a Jesus who is eminently trustworthy. Here's a Jesus that is eminently powerful. As you read through Isaiah, there's a sense actually in this chapter that all the things that were lacking in God's people in Isaiah 1 to 10 are made up for and found abundantly in Jesus. If you read Isaiah chapter 5 and into chapter 6, there are seven woes that God pronounces about the people of about his people. And here Jesus is described in seven ways with seven qualities. It's almost as if Isaiah is saying, where we fail, Jesus will always succeed. Where we feel let down, Jesus will never let you down. So let's paint a picture with Isaiah's words of Jesus. He is the one who has the spirit of wisdom and understanding. The one who has the spirit of knowledge. Jesus is full of wisdom. The decisions he makes and the actions he takes are consistent, caring, effective and meaningful. But it's more than just doing the right thing. Did you notice that? He doesn't just act dispassionately. There's an intimacy in these words. He has the spirit of knowledge, but it's also one of understanding. He understands our weaknesses. Jesus can read your heart. Even this morning, as you're thinking whatever thoughts you're thinking, he knows them. He knows your pretenses. He knows the times that you're hiding, and yet he still loves you. He still holds his arms out to you. In a world where relationships really hinge on hiding, Jesus offers the possibility of being known. Being known and loved. For some of you, you may be thinking, I've spent the last number of years just thinking that no one understands me. No one truly understands the pain that I'm going through. No one truly understands the struggles that I'm facing. And Isaiah 11 says to us, Jesus is understanding incarnated. Jesus is understanding in the flesh. He comes to you and he understands you. The spirit of wisdom and understanding and knowledge. The spirit of counsel. Jesus came as a light in the darkness. And Isaiah is saying to us, will you allow Jesus to be your guide in the darkness? In Isaiah's day, they, they didn't allow God's light to be their guide. In chapter 8, they consulted mediums and spiritists. They turned any way apart from to God. And here's the question, where will our hearts turn this Christmas time as we go into the new year. When you need advice and comfort, where will you turn in this coming year? Isaiah is inviting you to turn to the wonderful counsellor who shines light into the confusion of our lives and shows us the way, the truth and the life. He has the spirit of counsel. He has the spirit of might. I wonder whether in the last generation or so as Christians We've fallen into the trap of thinking about Jesus as nice, but ineffective. We kind of think, well, he's great, but just so much mess, he's, he's pretty ineffective. Can I say to you, Isaiah 11 shows us the exact opposite. He is the light of the world who hung the stars in the sky. 
He's the one who calmed the storm with a word. He healed the sick and opened the eyes of the blind. He even raised the dead. Jesus is not ineffective. There's nothing about him that is ineffective. This baby at Christmas that we celebrate has all the power that we need. And so Isaiah is saying this Christmas time, will you put your hope in the mighty God who shines light into the darkness (coughs) of our weakness? And will you rest all that you are on all that he is? He has the spirit of power. Our God is so big, so strong and so mighty, there's nothing that he cannot do. Do we believe that? Or have we fallen into the trap of looking at our circumstances and thinking Jesus is great, he's comforting, he's nice, but he's ultimately pretty ineffective? He is the only one who has power to change. So put your trust in him. So here's the question. Will we look at the stump and go that way? Or will we choose the way of the shoot? It's interesting in verse 3 where it says, his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. Some commentators say you could translate that as, he will sound out the fear of the Lord in others. It's a, it's a weird translation, but what they're saying is that an encounter with Jesus cannot leave you unchanged. You cannot encounter this Jesus and remain unchanged. At Christmas time, as we look at the baby in the manger, we must be changed by him. An encounter with Jesus must provoke in us a sense of the fear of the Lord, a turning away from the stumpy way of life, and a clinging on to the shoot that is also the root. You see, verses 3 and 4 and 5 show us that actually... This Jesus is not to be trifled with. He's wonderful. He's compassionate. He's gracious. He's powerful. And you must not trifle with him because he is the one who divides not only history, but all of humanity. How you respond to him determines your ultimate destiny. Alexander Solzhenitsyn said this as he was reflecting on Life, He said, gradually it was disclosed to me that the line separating good and evil passes not through states, not between classes, nor between political parties either, but right through every human heart. And when we see that that is true of us, these words in Isaiah 11 should humble us. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears. But with righteousness, he will judge the needy. With justice, he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. And here are words which don't feel like they belong in a Christmas service, but they do. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. With the breath of his lips, he will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be his belt and faithfulness, the sash around his waist. This Jesus that Isaiah promised, who 700 years later came and lived and died, is not to be trifled with. We must take him seriously. And even if you find it uncomfortable that he would just blow the wicked into oblivion, you've got to think about this. What is the alternative? This is 
uh, the atheist Sam Harris. He says, the idea that we as conscious beings are deeply responsible for the character of our mental lives and subsequent behavior is simply impossible to map onto reality. If there is no ultimate accountability with a God who made all things, if there is no final judgment, then how can we say that what we do matters? How can we say that we are responsible for the things that we do or for the things that other people do to us, that they're responsible for that? If we reduce ourselves to a scientific determinism, I think ultimately that just leaves us and others open to exploitation. You see, if people ultimately can't help themselves, then we have no say over what they do to us or to others. It basically is say la vie. That's life. Do we really want to live life like that? Or will we see these words in Isaiah 11 as actually good news? That Jesus will not allow wickedness just to fester. I think you can't help but look at the world and see that you can't extract the hook of evil from humanity without at least some barbs digging in. There is a rottenness at our core, a cancer that must be overcome. And Jesus comes to divide humanity. Life on this earth is not the way things ought to be. And either we accept that that is the status quo, or we cling to the hope that this, this mess, this way that things aren't as they ought to be, is not permanent. That one day Jesus will come and eradicate evil. You see, this powerful Jesus is actually good news. The mess and rottenness and destruction of this world of sin will not outlast the Jesus of Christmas. It's good news. The untold suffering of millions won't go untold forever. It's good news because the pain that some of us in here are feeling acutely won't be allowed to continue ad infinitum. Jesus will not let it happen. It's good news because there is a justice that we can rely upon. He is powerful. And he sees the mess and he sees the wickedness that is done to other people. And he will deal with it. And here's two reasons in Isaiah 11 that it's good news. It's good news because Jesus is completely fair in his justice. Did you notice Isaiah says this? He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears. We're so driven by what we see and hear, aren't we? That's why we're basically surrounded by spin all the time. Whatever we see or hear kind of determines how we think. But Jesus is able to distinguish between the appearance and the reality of things. No one can pull the wool over his eyes. He sees things with perfect clarity. He knows what is right. His judgment goes beyond the apparent truth of the matter. And so we can trust him because however much we may be confused in this world, 
he isn't. He knows what's going on. Here's an example of how we are just so driven by what we see or hear. On the 31st of January 2020, here are headlines from papers about the same event. 31st of January 2020, the Daily Mail, a new dawn for Britain. The Guardian on the same day, the biggest gamble in a generation. The Sun, our time has come. The Express, yes, we did. And in a very uh, memorable and pithy way, the Financial Times, Britain bows out of the EU with a mixture of optimism and regret. Interestingly, actually, the Daily Mirror ignored those and said uh, this was their headline on the 31st of January 2020. Killer flu, 150 Brits in quarantine. And actually, they were the ones who knew what was happening. <laughs> Don't worry, I'm not going to wade into the Brexit debate. But can you see the same event provokes completely different responses? We think we know what to think, and yet look at how we are so opposite in our, in our opinions on certain things. And yet Jesus looks at this world with perfect clarity. His justice is good news because he's completely fair. He sees things perfectly and acts in accordance with his perfect nature. Did you notice that perfect nature in verse 5? Righteousness will be his belt and faithfulness the sash around his waist. As he acts, he acts righteously it's as if he's constrained by that righteousness he can do nothing but act rightly faithfulness is in front of him so that everything he does is faithful you can trust him but this Jesus who judges wickedness is good news because he does it in Isaiah 11 acting on behalf of the needy Verse 4, with righteousness he will judge the needy, with justice he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. The God of the Bible is the father to the orphan, a shelter to the homeless, a hiding place for the abused, an anchor in the storm. When Jesus left his disciples, he said to them, I will not leave you as orphans. You may be tempted at times to think that God is too busy. Too busy to think about you and to be involved in your life. He is never too busy. He's never too busy. Look at who he visited at Christmas time. A teenage virgin, a carpenter from Nazareth, a couple struggling with infertility, shepherds under Bethlehem skies, traveling foreigners from the east, faithful saints in the temple. He is not too busy for you. He is never too busy for you. He acts on behalf of the needy and the poor. He acts on behalf of the oppressed. It's good news. It's good news that Jesus will not leave this world in the mess that's it, that it's in. He acts with righteousness and faithfulness. He is good news this Christmas time. So as we finish, let me just give us four applications. As we think about this Jesus, the root and the shoot who sprung up in obscurity and divided history by his remarkable life. Firstly, this. Come to Jesus this Christmas time. Come to him. He is gentle and lowly. He knows you. He understands you. He sees you as you are and he holds his arms open wide to you. You don't have to do anything to come to him. 
You can abandon all self-salvation projects. Just run into his arms and find his loving embrace. Secondly, don't trifle with this Jesus. Isaiah 11 shows us Jesus as he really is. He is glorious. He is powerful. How you respond to him will determine your destiny. He will divide history. So in 2022 as a church, let's not patronize Jesus. To kind of pretend that he's lucky to have us. Let us bow in humble adoration. There's no hiding from him. There's only hiding in him. So let's do that this coming year. Let's run to him and find security in him. Come to Jesus. Don't trifle with him, but come to him. Here's the third application. Wait. Learn to wait. You see, Isaiah 11 verse 1 says, a shoot will come from the stump. And Isaiah's original readers would have looked at Ahaz, the failure of a king, and thought, well, this is the stump. How soon until the shoot comes? And God's answer was 700 years. Wait for 700 years. But that's a constant theme of discipleship throughout the Bible. Abraham, Abraham and Sarah waited for 20 years for the child of promise. Joseph was in prison for 13 years. The Israelites were in slavery for 430 years. King David was anointed king when he was 13 years old and then had to wait until he could assume the throne. And maybe for you, 2021's felt like a year of waiting, waiting for lockdown to end in the beginning of this year, waiting for test results to come through waiting for some sense of normality, just waiting, waiting and waiting and waiting. And that's good for us. It reminds us that our lives aren't governed by our own stopwatches. God is in control. And so we need to trust his timing. In 2022, our activities may seesaw back and forth, but God is not caught off guard or threatened by chaos. He's in control. He came at just the right time. It was 700 years after Isaiah prophesied it, but he came. And in your life, the work that God is doing is too important and too significant for quick fixes. If God has invested in your life, he's done it for the long run. He's with you for the long run. And so at Christmas time, we need to learn to wait. Jesus came at just the right time, just when the night seemed darkest and he shone his beautiful light into this world. And if you're a Christian this morning, can't you say that in your own life? Didn't he come to you at just the right time? You may look back and wish that he came sooner, but didn't he come at the right time for you? And won't he come again at the right time? He's with you in the long run. And here's the fourth application. We'll see it next week as we think about prophecy. You see, Isaiah's looking forwards and he sees Jesus. And verses 1 to 5 really describe what we see Jesus was like on earth. 
It's almost as if Isaiah's looking and he sees Jesus in Galilee. But then when you read verses 6 to 9, you see, well, that is in the future for us. And so here's the thing, we're in the middle. And we're waiting and we're waiting, but we're waiting and God is with us. What does Christmas say to us? Emmanuel, God with us. God is with you as you wait. You don't wait on your own. You wait with the king. And so let's learn to wait. Let me pray as we finish. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for the Lord Jesus. We thank you that he has the spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. We thank you that he exhibited all of that when he walked on earth. We thank you that he acted righteously and faithfully. We thank you that he will come again and will judge the world in righteousness and faithfulness. And Lord, all of us this morning turn to you. And if there's anyone in here who does not yet know you, we pray, Lord, that you would shine your light into their darkness. Switch on the light and help them to see Emmanuel, God with us. We thank you and we love you in Jesus' name. Amen.